webmasterradio.fm. Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert, the story, headline, the spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image. Promote your products. Create expert status. Become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101. Crisis management. Media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hello, welcome to Cover Story this morning. This is Sarah McKay, and I'm here with Mick Jolly. How you doing, Sarah? Good. How are you, Mick? Oh, very good, very good. Well, uh, I was given heads up by uh, Brandy that I'd have an opportunity to meet another wonderful person here on the show today. So, hey. Yeah, I, I do the Ms. Wright content segments. So. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's good to be on. And I said good morning. I'm over here in California, but it's good afternoon. Over there. Yeah, yeah. well, actually, uh, I'm West Coast, Washington State, so oh, I'm perfect. just north of you. No, no problem there. We're, yeah. It's still morning. It's not quite noon yet. Yeah. I know. Morning for me. I would like my morning to start right now. There you go. We're working towards that end, though, right? So. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, we well, have a super guest this morning. We have Dorian Sweet on the show, who just has such an incre- impressive background. He, uh, his role as a vice president of creative expand strategic development and innovation in all sorts of online advertising and web development. And his, his list of clients that he's worked with is just so impressive. Uh, Miller Brewing Company, GE, Visa, eBay, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, so I'm very excited to have him here today. And we also, we got the opportunity to, um, he popped in and had a spotlight interview with me at the AdTech Chicago conference. So oh, our listeners... Yeah, they got a little preview of them there. Very good, very good. Yeah, well, everything we get... I've heard is that uh, there should be plenty for our listeners to to learn and and hopefully develop and grow some of their own ideas and as a result of of uh, his experience and expertise. So sounds yes, like we should bring that man on board. Yes, certainly. And he um, he's over a decade in the industry. He's also a total expert in streaming video and reach media advertising. So we can ask him every question across the board, and he'll. Give us all his knowledge today. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, Dorian, well, you with gonna, us? Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back with Dorian Sweet. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. 
content. High quality content. Also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. Contrary to what your mother told you, you cannot be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com, making sure your mother is always proud. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Well, welcome back to Cover Story. This is Sarah McKay. I'm here with Mick Jolly. Howdy, and Sarah. Back hello. again. Hey. Good to be back. And yeah, now we're going to welcome good our guest. Our... Oh, go ahead. Oh, are we ready to re- welcome our guest here? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're very excited to have it. Excited to have him here. It's Dorian Sweet. Hi, Dorian. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Good. Perfect. Good. Now we are so fortunate to have you. Mick and I were just talking about your wonderful resume, and you've worked with just so many clients across the board. Such impressive names. We were naming a few: uh, Motorola, Kodak, Century Fox, AT and T. Everything I have in my home, I've worked for. Oh, really? <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we all should be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Now, with your uh, background, you're an expert in streaming video and rich media advertising, so you're just on the cutting edge of all the new technologies out there. Now, how a question that I have is, how have you seen new technology affect traditional advertising in terms of, have you seen it stifle creativity at all? Well, it's interesting because I think um, for traditional agencies, especially you know, when we talk about traditional, meaning print and TV and radio and so forth, and then we think about interactive agencies. For traditional agencies, it has been up until about this time um, uh, an unknown territory, something that is probably lower down the the, um, the food chain as far as, you know, creativity and projects and, you know, and, and sort of big showy things to win awards for. And there's been a lot of changes very recently, and especially uh, in the fact that even awards are given out now and are now the popular thing to get. Like the, the new thing to get now is the Cyber Lion, even though they've been around for several years. Um, of course, you get a free trip to France if you win, but that's, that's always a gift. Um, but um, it's, it's the fact that the Internet is, is the number three um, um, media that is consumed now, especially uh, by status, stat, uh, stats in this country, it is, um, that's actually given more prominence inside of traditional agencies for, you know, being the creative outlet, the creative medium. So up until now, I'd say within this past year, traditional agencies kind of looked at it like it was something they added on to their budgets that they did, and they did a website, but it wasn't really thought out, and it was pretty much an iteration of a lot of the TV and the print that was done. So, but what's changed is time has passed. And, um, you know, 10 years ago, a you know, a 15-year-old is now 25, and they're probably an, an apprentice or in a position working at a traditional agency, and they have lots of ideas. And they've been using digital media, media, and they've been using the Internet for 10 years straight. And so the people now who are coming into those traditional agencies are built in, as opposed to 10 years ago, where you had to basically have everybody learn it. And some right. people did, some people didn't, some people didn't. So we're all, we're all growing, growing up into it, yeah, slowly, and, rather than introducing the whole new medium to everyone. That and, you know, with broadband obviously being a lot more available to everybody and penetrating much more into the market, and also the technology freeing up a lot more options to uh, do things 
um, there is a lot more exciting things happening, um, especially from traditional agencies and when they come out with it. Though they tend to still be sort of more beholden to the brand and making a brand message as opposed to you know going into the other end, which had to, has to do with measurement, and more interactivity, and you know, developing almost a modeled experience for people to go through. Right. Now, with rich media ads, which you know so much about, uh, we see a lot of freedom in terms of ability to, to bring other things into advertising that we haven't before. Now, how um, with all this creativity, they're also, we all know, so expensive, and they can be a great financial burden. What, if you're a company bringing this new rich media ad campaign, what should the number one priority be to make sure it's worth your money? Well, the first question is a very simple one. It's, what are you trying to do? Because the thing is with rich media is that it gives you a lot of options. Um, if you have TV that you want more people to see, if you have outtakes from your TV spots that you want people to be able to share, that's one thing. If you have products and services that you have on a website, um, and, but people aren't getting to your website, maybe you want to bring them into the rich, the, a rich media ad and demonstrate some of what you can do. Um, Maybe you want people to be able to download lots of materials without even visiting the website as well. So it depends on what the goal is. And, and there's kind of a couple of worlds here of, 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 of the usual goals that we have for clients. We have clients who are, let's say, a travel client, and they want to get people to book tickets on their airplane or in their hotel or what have you. Their approach has to be, first of all, I want more of what I need, which is people buying my stuff. And so as far as online is concerned for them and using rich media, the solution tends to be in the direction of, um, you know, demonstrating how their product is better or their hotel is better and allowing people to explore a little bit further without having to go to the website and actually do a booking into what their product is and then capturing at the right moment um, the uh, viewer's ability to book a room or book a flight or, or sign up for an email to be reminded. Um, whereas for a brand advertiser who... Let's say if it's someone like Miller Brewing or it's any other you know, uh, consumer product good where you can't actually, well, usually, especially with alcohol, you can't buy it online someday, I, I suppose. <laughs> Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, that would be easy. We could all just be super lazy. Um, <laughs> but when you have a product like that which can't actually be sold, you're really just trying to make sure your message is, is resonating and it's salient and it's interruptive enough and it's doing the things it needs to do. So for a brand advertiser who doesn't actually have to sell any product, they that get to sell product online, they need to, their question has to be, well, you know, I want people to remember me. So that's a whole different strategy, and that has to do with video and has to do with innovations in rich media and doing things that are breakthrough. So that tends to be the two worlds that we work in when we're, we're trying to approach, you know, how you should use rich media to your best ability and make sure you're getting the biggest bang for your buck. Okay. Now, when you mentioned Miller Brewing Company, and you've worked with so many impressive clients. Are there any campaigns that you could maybe, uh, I got the opportunity to see some of your work in Chicago, which was wonderful. Are there any campaigns you could uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that perhaps Nick and I and our listeners would be familiar with? Mm, gosh, well, um, it's hard to know because on the internet, nobody actually writes back the agency and says, great job. <laughs> <laughs> but um, We should they, enlist that. Nick and I will start doing that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, well, we'll at least create a blog, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And <laughs> of everyone course, hop on. Yeah, and, that, and, and for brand advertisers, they're, they're deathly afraid of blogs. Some are, some aren't. But um, I think for campaigns that we were, you know, in my experience, supporting um, that are notable, um, a lot of the Discovery Channel stuff that's been done, that's very hard to really see. And this is the other thing, is it's very hard to tell somebody, did you see that ad that I did? Right. 
and, and the reason that's so odd is because it's not a broadcast medium. Um, and it's, you know, not everybody sees the same ad, uh, depending on where you are and the time of day you're in and your region. And that's becoming more and more prevalent. But beyond that, uh, campaigns that, that I've worked on with um, uh, British Airways and developing their flatbed seat campaign, that was a breakthrough thing a few years ago, um, where you actually we tip the um, entire page of the New York Times on its side in the business technology section. And um, you uh, that's the first thing you saw, and then the page flipped back to the regular position, and then you got the message about what was going on. It had to be with sort of viewing the world from a sideways point of view. Oh, very cool. So that plus Miller campaigns, they have these episodic campaigns which come out, which was the president of beers last year, and um, we had the... Um, uh, refs one, which is actually starting up again, uh, which is the calls being made by refs throwing flags at people and telling them, you know, they have a, you know, they have a trendy tattoo and they're making the wrong choice in beer. Those are <laughs> things that we're trying to carry over into online, and it never looks exactly the same unless we're just importing the video. Right. So um, for Miller, those things are more prominent, and they tend to be, you know, sort of in and out, like a smash and grab sort of strategy as far as the media is concerned and buying it. So it's on for a week and maybe two, and then it's off. Okay. And I, re- I remember from um, Chicago the one Miller image of the beer pouring. Yeah. And with... that, that, was a, that was an interesting ad just because it was considered impossible to do. Yeah. And, and um, that one, it's, it's like describing art. You know, you know we're uh-huh. all on radio here. It's a blue painting, and Picasso did it. Yeah. Um, but that ad in itself was, um, uh, it's not, it's part of their regular sort of evergreen campaigns. So it's just sort of out there. You, you yeah. see them in, in different places, but they're not really a planned buy. But that was an image of a beer pouring into to a glass through a flash banner, which looked very real, almost TV-like. But yeah, it wasn't. It did. Yeah, it, it really wasn't did. a video. Yeah. I was very impressed with that. And that's something that I know as soon as I saw it, I've seen tons of times, you know, online. So it's great to, to see that that can be done so realistically. And if we keep talking about beer, it's almost 12 o'clock in California. <laughs> so. It's about time. <laughs> Mick and I will crack them open. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, about uh, beer advertising, just quickly, is, is that you know you have a challenge because you're not able to sell the product, but the other thing is, is that you do have the ability to trigger certain impulses in people wanting to have a beer. And visually, dis- you know, displaying the beer is known to be, obviously, the most effective way of doing it. We have that with TV every day when we see a beer slowly being poured into a glass and looking really delicious. Uh, but online, you know, uh, it's hard to do technically unless you're showing a video, which is also a problem because video has to be delivered, and sometimes there's a buffer, and you, know, you get into sort of delays, and the delayed reaction uh, loses its or, effect. <laughs> yeah, and um, so when you can actually make it work, like we did in some of these ads, you know, you're bridging a gap. Um, but there's other things. There's the sound of the beer being poured, and these are all things that we know work. But the thing is also about online is that users aren't passively sitting there waiting to see the beer ad. Right. You know, they have things to do. So it really has to be the kind of thing where whatever you're capturing and you're trying to evoke, you have to almost pump it up even more because you have such a shorter space of time to do it. You know, TV is 15-second spots and 30-second spots. I think online is like one and two and five-second spots you work in. Oh, wow. Dorian, share just a little bit more about the, uh, the human side of the business because, you know, it's often said that behind every click there's a real person, you know, and, and too often uh, we can be you know, using technology to such a degree that we ignore, hey, wait a minute, there's real people, you know, sitting behind a computer somewhere with real emotions, real thoughts, mm-hmm. and uh, their values and goals of whatever it is they're looking for online. Um, how do you make certain that your, your uh, use of things like rich media and, and technology, that you're actually reaching in the heart of those folks? I mean, you give the example of the beer 
uh, being poured and, and, and whatnot and, and how that gives a certain um, impulse, you know, when you see it on, on uh, in TV or some kind of other advertising media. Right. It's hard to, hard to do, obviously, in this environment with, uh, with 100% success. Well, what other things do you do? Well, we learned a lot from not doing rich media, actually. We learned oh, yeah. a lot. Okay. We, we learned a lot from just regular banner ads, you know, over these past 10 years, like what is actually part of the, um, you know, experience that is going to make trigger people's reactions. And I think you know, we tend to look at human behavior in online as a sort of a fixed entity. But, you know, as these 10 years have passed, we've seen that lots of people have, um, um, you know, have changed. They've changed their behaviors. Their expectations for delivery of content has changed. And so to the previous point, you know, we know now that you need to pump up those one to two seconds to make it worthwhile for somebody. There's a level of engagement that has to happen for people as far as ads are concerned. Um, what we don't like to think that we've learned is, you know, those ads that you see which, you know, show the, you know, corn cob with all the states on it or those ads where you shoot the monkey or they vibrate on your page are, you know, effective at getting your attention. And we know that. Um, but that's not necessarily the right way. Those, those aren't the right things to learn uh, for most people unless you're what I call you. A lot of, those, a lot of times those are clients that are desperate. Um, they're doing anything to get a click. But there's, there's a, and, and to that, and this doesn't go far off the point, is that the level of, of, of um, triggering or the amount of visual input you can give somebody doesn't necessarily have to be beautiful. Um, it does have to be able to make, um, an, attract enough attention to garner a reaction. But there's a fine line because when you develop something that is, let's say, not so pretty and you get a reaction from it, you've already kind of set an expectation of the aesthetic of the experience at that level, at that point from there on. And a lot of times people drop off. So I'll give you an example. Like if you're like getting a banner that's like you know, mortgage rates and it's like flashing and it's doing weird stuff and there's you know, things flying around in it and you know, there's a major bank logo up in the corner, and you're intrigued, you click on it, and you get to this page which kind of looks the same. Um, it's kind of messy and weird and doesn't make sense. You're gonna, not going to believe a lot in that particular experience, and you probably will drop off. I mean, we naturally can think that. Cognitively, cognitively, we just think that right, right now. Like, yeah, I would never do that. But when you're online, you're in a different head. You know, you're kind of moving in a different way. So what we try to do is make sure that any ad has a married experience from the banner level all the way through to the page and through to the web page. And these all can be beautiful experiences, but there has to be some form of continuity. It's a, like, in a sense, a visual hand-holding that has to go on um, to make the ads effective. So talking about other things that we do, you know, as far as um, attracting people's attention, you know, breaking boundaries and how you design the, the ads and how you use floating ads in combination with, with fixed banner ad placements, those are nice ways to make, uh, get people to be you know, not only interrupted in an interesting way, but it also allows you to begin a story with them, which is very interesting. Like you've seen a lot of ads out there, like even a lot of gaming companies. I think Xbox had one where, you know, um, characters in Halo 2 were fighting each other between a vertical banner and a horizontal banner, uh, with, you know, shooting each other. <laughs> Which, you know, okay, that's fun, and I can take that for a few seconds, you know, four or five seconds. Yeah. That's interesting. But, I mean, it's doing the right job. It's sort of, it's invasive. It has something to do with the character of the game, and it, you know, get you into the, the whole idea of the game right at the level where you're not usually thinking about it. Right. Another thing that's interesting about what people do is they're able to incorporate video a, a lot more in a, in a more of an integrated way into the ad units. Um, and by doing that, you, um, you, you have a sort of, 
you don't have that square sort of border going on with a video anymore. You have sort of the ability to overlay something on top of it. And now video can be captured in any shape. So it's an interesting interplay that you can get out of um, using video and flash animation together, which is um, makes it richer once again and makes it not strictly video or strictly flash. So those are some of the things that are new that we're trying to uh, develop at the ad level. And all of this is restricted by you know, the biggest killer of all, which is file size. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's changing, too. I mean, but still, file size is a huge, huge um, barrier, especially when delivering very interesting kind of video effects. How often do you see people uh, coming, you know, when you talk about the television ads that the straight video might be on the website, how often do you see people actively coming and, and choosing to view those? Um, if it's a major brand advertiser, like for consumer product good, um, goods like beer, um, there's actually quite a lot of traffic because I think there's a heritage. I mean, beer advertising is as old as advertising. Right. And, you know, most of the time ads for beer are you know, funny Definitely. or strange or odd. They're not yeah. just about pouring the beer. Um, but when we get to other clients which may be more business-to-business oriented or financially oriented, nobody wants to see the TV ads. They would like to see the idea from the TV ads translated into something of an online ad that had a utility. Um, like for a financial um, services client of ours um, who had a lot of TV ads of sort of, it was talking heads of real people um, trading stocks and you know, sort of volume stock traders. And they're talking about the, in, very, in, in their lingo about how they trade. And um, we were able to take those images of those people and incorporate those into ads where we gave people a tool to determine at their volume rate, you know, sort of with the image simultaneously of that person there, we gave them a tool to allow the user to sort of indicate what kind of volume they trade at and then tell them how much money they'd save per trade if they did it. So, you know, as you can see, the dimension's different. You know, you can go and on TV and listen to somebody tell you how great it is, but online, it'd be nice to see that person again to get that, that continuity, but, you know, you want to be able to figure it out for yourself and in a way that it applies to you. Okay. And that when you talk about the same type of continuity and going along with the building that brand and keeping with the true brand of the product. With uh, the, ver- the ability online to target very specific niche audiences, how do you see brand message compromised at all by targeting such specific groups, or can you keep the universal brand message there despite the specific targeting? It's, a, it's probably one of the most interesting questions we're facing right now, and it's one which I think brand marketers, meaning on the client side, are most challenged with. Um, they tend to lean uh, on their traditional agency to really shepherd their brand. And oftentimes what happens is that you get into a situation where an interactive agency is now working with the traditional agency, and the interactive agency is saying, well, you know, users are not just, you know, they need to play with your brand. They need to experience it. They need to, you know, there's lots of dimensions to how they're going to be able to know, interact with your brand. So it's not just this monolithic thing that you say at the end of a TV spot anymore. It's literally something that has to have a life, has to have a personality, has to be able to be expressed in in the way the medium expresses it best. And that conversation right there usually (laughs) ends up in a bit of confusion Uh because it's basically implying that you don't have one audience. You have have the mass audience that you you, uh, communicate with, and then you have the online audience, which has a bit of control over how your message is going to be delivered and interpreted. So for a brand advertiser, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in. So they've tended to side with traditional agencies, their usual AOR agencies, to make those decisions and make direction happen. And at the same time, they've made direct, you know, decisions and directions themselves. But I think one of the most 
interesting parts of it, and I, I can't really judge whether it's right or wrong, even being on an interactive side um, for these past 10 years. Brand advertisers have started opening up to allowing the consumer to be a lot more involved in how the brand can be perceived and expressed, and they've just allowed it to happen. And it's not a major shift, but it's, it's sort of the beginnings of how you know, brands are experienced. And, and that's literally the, the kind of world that we're, we're in right now is that brands used to be up until these past few years something that was, you know, a, you know an edict and a rule and a, and a communication and a position that had to do, that resonated very clearly with what the company was trying to supply to its customers. And now the customer can be much more involved in that dialogue. And when we mentioned blogs before, I mean, major brand advertisers are monitoring blogs to find out what people think about their products, uh, and they're changing them. And, and that's a huge impact on, you know, how, how, you know, the online will sort of shift the dialogue from being one way to two way. Well, that's exciting to see that they're taking heed of that and, and making changes as a result for the consumers out there to hop online and hop in the blogs and give their feedback. And, and it goes back to our earlier question, which is, is that, um, you know, some clients come to us and just say, well, I want to, I want to be able to get more money out of the uh, online stuff that I do. I want to do it, you know, online to me is just cheaper advertising, so I want to do more of it. And if you're selling a product, that's fine. You'll get to a point where you'll figure out where you can make online work for you. And with a good agency, you can make lots of money doing that. But for brands, you know, for brand advertisers, it's a whole different thing. It's almost like a place where, a dark place I have to go that I'm not sure where I'm going to end up on the other end, and I have to spend lots of money on it. That's frightening. <laughs> there you go. Speaking yeah. of uh, spending money on advertising, we probably should uh, let our fine sponsors uh, have an advertising break here. Yes, certainly. In a little bit of time, then we'll come back and finish up with uh, more great news from Dorian. So they got pretty good food here, huh? Uh-huh. Listen, I just got a new check from a program I joined. Oh, yeah? What effective CPM are they paying you? Pass the salt. Not sure. They just send me a check, not a detailed breakout. Are you joking? No. There's lots of ways to make money, but you need to be the master of your own destiny. With ValueClick Media, I instantly adopted a national sales force that delivers recognizable ads with high CPM payouts. Mm. Plus, their new interface lets me control the ads I want to run and mm. tells me how much I earn from each advertiser. Wow. And that's how better. Pass the pepper. Wow. Thanks for the tip. I'm going to give ValueClick Media a try. Join the ad network publishers trust most. Apply today at ValueClickMedia.com. The innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's LOAD.com and get loaded today. Do you sell a product or service with monster potential in the online market? Then attack the opportunity to turn your dreams into reality. Equipped with flexible e-commerce software from MonsterCommerce.com. You'll possess complete control of your store, including your storefront's design, maintenance of your products, and management of your online orders. And all with the technical support and service. Available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Grow your business today with MonsterCommerce.com. Commercials off. Now back to cover story we're reserving a headline for you well welcome back to cover story this is sarah mckay and i'm here (laughs) right and we're talking with dorian sweet hey there hello now dorian um 
I was wondering, because you've, you've commented, you've been quoted in Wall Street Journal and Creativity Magazine, Ad Week and Ad Age, and you have commented on how digital technologies are creating a new form of communication or language. Now, what exactly, what exactly does that mean, and what is this, uh, what's some elaboration on that? Well, it's, 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 it's sort of t- understanding that we take a lot for granted these days. Um, I often, you know, try to go back to my days when I was starting out, you know, at my, with my own business back in the, the 80s, trying to um, have my own design business or working with traditional agencies as I did in my, early in my career. And I kind of noticed the major changes that went on. And you know, early in 1980, 81, the microcomputer came out, the Commodore 64, the TRS-80, which were going to change the world. And it didn't really change the world. It made you know, a lot of things easier to do. But actually, the thing that changed things the most was the fax machine, which came out about the same time. That really eliminated our ability to use couriers and the postal service. You know, it reduced it you know, in an immense way. And so the reason uh, I, I feel that we're in this place of creating a new language is because the Internet's come on so fast and so furious so quickly um, and that we're taking for granted the fact that we're changing in the way that we communicate with people. And, I, and, and the, the way that I mean that is, is that I think the fragmentation of our media consumption is, is probably the best reflection of it. You know, the fact that you know, I can be watching TV and I could be emailing one of, you know, IMing one or two of you and writing an email at the same time and doing some work at the same time. You know, that's a fragmentation of my mental power. And it's a fragmentation of my ability to express myself. Um, and when we think back, you know, when people used to write letters to each other, they spent a lot of time writing letters. Um, we still write letters today, but we chop up our communications into such little bits that I think we've taken that for granted. I think there's a huge change in how, um, you know, trying to express exactly what you're looking for um, ends up having to take like three or four emails. Um, I've had this conversation with several colleagues of mine where I've, you know, asked them for something and they've written me back, didn't understand, and I had to write them back again. And then, you know, I had to send them a link of what I was, an example of what I was looking for. And, you know, it took a long time to get it across. And, you know, I probably could have picked up the phone and got it over within, you know, 20 seconds. But that in itself shows that our preponderance to using email and using uh, blogs and using, um, you know, I, instant messenger programs, you know, really has sort of shifted our, our, our place where we spend our time. And, you know, it's kind of like you know, the printing press. The printing press back in the 1600s with Gutenberg, when it was developed, it allowed things to be proliferated. And, you know, we're here in like our 10th year of real Internet, sort of, you know, Internet on, you know, and it, it's getting bigger and faster every day. Six and a half billion people use the Internet around the world. You know, there's got to be a major shift that happens because of that, and especially in how we communicate. And the first thing that's happened is that we're able to communicate with each other, which is a huge change. Now, I can, you know, I can speak to people in, in France or in other countries as long as we can get the, across the language barrier. And, you know, that's a huge opening up of the channel, but that's an amazing change. Um, but the other one is just if you stay in language, you know, how you communicate, how you, you know, describe what you're looking for still needs a lot of effort. But the technology has made it simple to just simply do the action as opposed to really think about what you're doing before you take the action. So the things like, you know, Blackberries, it's a perfect example. You know you're getting a Blackberry message, of course, because they put a little, you know, line down at the bottom that says, this is sent with a Blackberry handheld device. Um, But usually the responses are, okay, got it, or I'll call you tomorrow, or... You know, everything's real short. Right. And um, it's, bec- it's, it's that limiting of language and expression, which I think is a, a major beginning of the shift that's going on. 
but it's also you wear your in, thumbs out on the BlackBerry too. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have, you know, in, in 25 years, people have these elongated digits that can uh, are finer at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you say about the um, the fragmenting of, of our of our thought processes and everything. I, there was a study, and I can't remember who was credited with the particular study, but it actually indicated that because of email and people spending time responding to email the way we do, uh, very very abbreviated, not as well thought out, pretty pretty much just you know top of mind. Here it goes. Um, the, the, supposedly the average IQ of, uh, of folks using email on a regular basis and who spend a lot of time on email. Uh, has been shown to go down. How they showed that, I don't know. But it, what you say about when you when you write a letter that's a, that's a serious letter or a press release, if you're really taking it serious or whatever it may be, you put a lot of thought in it. You put a lot of time into developing it the right way, and and uh, it, I think it shows versus certain email responses. And and even without using a BlackBerry, I've got the "I'll call you tomorrow" response, <laughs> you know, from from people's desktops. So I mean, uh, there's just not a lot of a lot of yeah. thought that goes into certain... Uh, and we also live in a, in a soundbite and headline, you know, culture. Very much. You know, when you go to CNN or you get email updates about things, you're getting, you're getting the headline. And you know, the headlines has to do all the lifting now. You know, there's no, there's no nuance in communication. It's like, you know, Paris Hilton's going to get married. Okay, I know that now. Great. Yeah. My life can go on. There but, you, go. you know, the truth is, is that maybe there's a lot more to that. I don't know, and I don't, maybe I don't care, but... The, the point is, is that I'm flooded with all these headlines and this this sort of um, um, push. Where, and actually, I think when it comes to be speaking of celebrities, I think one of the major changes in communication that's happening is, is that you know when we look at the celebrities we have today, it's it's almost like it's not so much that the celebrities themselves are intensely interesting, but it's that their publicists are so much more savvy about getting the word out about them and using any medium possible to communicate. And so when we talk about this, this sort of headline and soundbite culture, you know, they're the ones sort of driving the, driving the train at doing that. And that's just another way of sort of fueling our, you know, maybe our, our, our thinning out of our ability to be more eloquent or be more, you know, um, concise in how we're communicating. Now, in terms of, uh, in terms of, we're talking about writing and, and, and content because we hear so much about how important quality content is in advertising and the Internet and the search engines want quality content. How do you factor content into your clients' advertising campaigns? How important is it? Well, you know, and quality of content is, is definitely, it's not a catchword. It's, it's a truth. And the um, factoring it into our clients' initiatives usually has to do with, you know, how salient is it going to be to somebody online? And it kind of gets back to our original point, which is, you know, how quickly can people consume this information? And um, if they can consume it quickly and it is compelling enough, does that allow us permission to be able to ask for people whether they would like to sign up for an update for something to get more information like this or to continue on to a web page or have it delivered to their cell phone or, or whatever? Um, usually you're still trying to think in terms of, what do you have to give people, and do they care that you have it? And and prioritizing the, it's not only just quality of content; it's also prioritization of content, because um, you may have all things that are great for people, but what are the things that are going to stick most with people when they're online? Um, and we all think words like free and things like and you know win a vacation and all that stuff are the things that are going to stick, but that's not always the case. It it tends to be also like how how interested is somebody in content that's being delivered to them, and that has to do a lot more with planning media and targeting and really figuring out that if you're getting to the right audience in the right place. And that when providing that quality information, this furthers the brand loyalty and the, and the consumer trust there? Mm -hmm. To some extent, 
it's interesting because brand has a huge has a huge factor in any of the advertising that we do. If I have two financial clients, I've had one completely unknown to most people, another one, you know, a national, uh, international entity, and I could tell you in all honesty that I could send out a banner with exactly the same offer or the exact same benefit, um, and the one that's the major brand will always get you know, the, the lion's share of, of the reactions. So quality of content does also have the brand has a huge amount to do with quality of content as well. It also it sort of verifies the authenticity of that content, even though it may be the same you know, for six different brands. And with these campaigns that are coming through, how a great campaign that has all the bells and whistles that makes you know, rich media and um, quality content, all of that together, how does measurement factor into deciding that that is a wonderful campaign? Does, does it at all? Do you go with your gut? Or is there a, a means to accurately and definitively measure it. Well, a colleague of mine once said that, you know, we, we make decisions with our gut, but, you know, we use measurement to, to verify that we're right in the end. And um, I think that that's true. I think, you know, we tend to look at the world where we still make decisions about what a creative, you know, what creative execution that's been done. You know, is it great? Is it, is it compelling? Does it make people want to, you know, really engage in it? And then we send it out there and we measure it. But it really comes back to the sort of the basics of it. Measurement has been sort of an interesting sort of aspect. It's been a huge aspect of interactive. It's been a very debatable one against traditional interactive agencies. Measurement for a lot of clients getting into the internet has really been the training wheels that have allowed them to prove the business case for why they should continue doing it. But a lot of times what happens for clients is they get so into the measurement that they kind of lose sight of the forest through the trees. And the trend that really is, that does exist out there where things are most effective, and a lot of times a lot of clients need to to understand this and just in dealing with their agencies is that um, direct response is really, really effective on the web depending on what you're selling. But brand advertising helps direct response in a huge way. But you can't measure them the same way. You know, you can see one affecting the other. Like if you do big brand campaigns and you have sort of an, an offer campaign going on simultaneously, you'll see, if you do those things simultaneously, you'll see the offers start getting more pickup. Um, if you just do the offer one, you won't see as much volume. So it's proven, it exists, it's been going on for a long time, but still not every client is in that place. They're looking at it as either one thing or another. And and to some extent, it's also because people are just spending their time online. It's you know, like, as, as I said before, it's number three in media consumption. We have to assume, and it's been around for 10 years, we have to assume that people are online and they will see your ad. And it, it, not going backwards in time here and just saying, you know, the blind faith of TV is what we should just believe in. But if 25% of the people, I'm not sure the exact number is, you know, uh, of the media audience are online, then, you know, one in four of your banner ad impressions are being seen by somebody. And it's sort of just a natural realization that we have to come to. I think, you know, we, we're going to find, a, fi, fi, find ourselves in a place where measurement will have its place in every communication medium and every advertising medium. Um, it's just that online has probably done a lot of explaining and done uh, sort of cut through a lot of the clutter of, of uh, proving it. But eventually it's hard, it's hard to like measure that billboard, you know. Well, there, we had, you know, you know, twenty thousand motorists pass by this billboard in the last quarter, so therefore, you know, <laughs> yeah. right. online you can definitely, you know, you, you can at least tell when you got unique clicks to some degree, and with a little bit more accuracy, that's and that's that's a good driving point for where I think we'll see online advertising continue to grow. Well, and the thing is too about that with outdoor, for instance, you know, they're doing that based off of you know total rating points and gross rating points that you know measuring by traditional medium standards. But, you know, when we talk about digital billboards, 
you know, and the fact that people can interact with them, or that if you have a Bluetooth set up in your car, which most of the cars will have in 10 years, you know, that advertising can actually know when you're near it. Um, now, there's kind, of scary, kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there you go, big brother, right? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you can decide to accept an ad or accept some sort of offer in your car that you can redeem later or it can be sent to your cell phone. These things are all going yeah. to happen eventually. I mean, we all know that these things are there to do. It's just, our, you know, we need to catch up with all the technology that's been built for yeah. it. There you go. But, the cell phone you know, technology, I understand, is already being tested in Europe and, and certain other locations. It's not uh, prevalent here yet. Yet. So. They're much more advanced in Europe with, and, and in Japan with um with implementing all those kinds of marketing efforts. And it's a true channel over there where here we still have sort of the old guard to break down to be able to make it work. So, you know, we, not only can we get better reception, but we can um, probably have it more of a, be more of a communication and marketing device, which is not what everybody wants it to be. With, um, with banner ads and, and pop-up ads, and we see, you know, so much of advertising coming at the consumer, in terms of invitational market, uh, invitational advertising, where you're inviting the consumer, you're asking permission before giving them these uh, pop-ups or these flashing ads. How, what kind of effect do you see that taking on the advertising industry? Do consumers want to be asked? Are they resentful of just getting so much thrown in their faces? Well, it's it, it it's a, as old as advertising itself in some ways. This this question because. Um, and it's one that most people don't answer very well, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to think that I will myself. But you know, there's something that's always been told to me since I've been in advertising. You know, if you ask people, you know, nowadays, you know, why do you watch the Super Bowl? They'll say, Oh, I watch football because I like football, and they say, I like to see the ads that are on TV during that time because they know there's a show going on. You know, and everybody's spending all their money towards it. Um, I think the idea of asking. Uh, Sounds like what you're saying is that you know asking permission for people to either experience advertising or experience content or sign up to be you know sent content as part of a barter of of information for advertising. Um, I think that will continue. I think um, we're going to find it just get more and more specialized. Um, you know, very particular subjects will be things that people will sign up for, as opposed to yes, I want to know about shopping. Well, I may not want to know about shopping. I may want to know about Swiss watches. And that's what I'll sign up for, and don't send me any other content. And yes, once in a while, you have the ability to ask me if I'd like something related to it. And, and we see that too with you know how Amazon.com's you know intelligence is set up, where it can show you related items or what other people bought when you buy something. It's that sort of passive, suggestive, you know, permission advertising that's that's being done, which I think is very persuasive because it it it's not you know artificial intelligence per se, but it's more behavioral. And that's a huge trend that's going to start changing things is behavioral marketing and behavioral targeting. It's, we probably wouldn't have enough hours in the day to talk about all the things that you can do with that. Um, it's I don't know, Dorian. Trend. I think you're kind of a, a rainmaker in the industry here, uh, so to speak, as far as uh, coming up with some of the new ideas and where things are going. Where, where, where do you go personally from here in, in your, at this point in your career? What are some of your future plans? We're kind of getting to the uh, – we're just a little past the top of the hour and we need to be looking at a wrap-up, but I want to kind of hear – for our listeners, what, what they should be keeping an eye on as far as uh, what Dorian Sweet's going to be doing. Well, I think, you know, the, integra- the video is going to be, you know, a huge platform for online. Um, broadband will allow us to deliver it a lot, you know, easier than we usually have, and it'll, we'll get over some of the, the connectivity and the pipeline barriers we've had before. But it's not just some sort of delivery of video. It's also how video is going to change. Um, there's been some recent articles that have said that, you know, interactive agencies are looking to hire production shops and directors to actually help them create their ads. And I 
that's a, a place where I'm, I'm going right now is trying to find that bridge point where we can really make a much more immersive experience that, that seems like a TV commercial but feels like a video game, but it doesn't have to be a game. Um, you know, if you can imagine, you know, taking a, you know, driving in a car with a celebrity and having them explain all the features to you, um, that would be kind of interesting. Um, and I think you can do that with um, the online medium once we get past a few hurdles of technology. Um, so I'm really finding that you know, TV now becoming much more interactive and commercials being much more interactive. Where it's going to happen first is online, and then it will just shift backwards into the technology or the hardware of TV as we go forward. So that's where I'm headed. With, uh, with TiVo now, and people, you know, we hear so much people with TiVo are fast-forwarding past the commercials, what kind of an effect have you seen that have? Oh, I've heard some lively debates over that. Like, um, you know, if somebody's paying, you know, $5 million for advertising and people are fast-forwarding it at four times speed, they should really only pay 25% of that, mm-hmm. um, which I think is funny because they're still seeing their ad, but it's four <laughs> times the speed. Um, that, that, that's a huge factor. And, I mean, I think that's what's going on now is, is that the whole idea of advertising itself is splitting off into various routes. There's product placement. There's, you know, celebrity endorsement, um, you know, like, Oprah endorsing a product. That's a huge, huge different channel for advertisers. And it's a whole different system for getting an ad into something, a product placement into TV or into movies. That's been around for a long time, but now it's going to change a lot more, and as well into video games. So as far as the TV ad itself, I think the TV ad itself has to become much more interactive for people to be able to have fun with it. Um, Unless it's, you know, it's just so funny, you don't care that you're just watching it. Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Doreen, it's been enlightening. And uh, we're needing to wrap up the show, and I, I'd hopefully uh, we'll have the opportunity to have you back again. With and hopefully we can even have Ms. McKay join us as well in the near I'd future and for another round. Yes, Great. certainly, certainly. It's been our pleasure so having you. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Dorian. Bye bye. Take care. Well, I sure learned a lot, man. Man, oh man, that, that I man. I, I think he could teach a uh, an e course for us. Seriously, and he's so eloquent. Very, very well spoken. Very yeah, well. I want to hop online and check out some of these. I mean, his his we didn't even cover all the clients, all these impressive, massive clients that he's had. So I, I want uh, to hop on and see some more examples of, of his work on those campaigns. I'm sure that there's a, a number of uh, clients that he could do case study upon case study and, and really educate the uh, the listeners. And it would be fascinating to actually have him do a series on his own here, you know, maybe as part of the Webmaster Radio Makeup, who knows? Or oh, yeah. If, if we can feature him in Cover Story, that's, that'd be great, but he's got a lot to offer. Certainly. It'd be neat to have some kind of interactive where we could all get our listeners online looking at the examples as we talk about it. That'd be really neat. Yeah, maybe there's a teleseminar in there anyway, huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, been great working with you, and, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll uh, tell Brandy she can, she can go ahead and uh, take vacation whenever she wants. I know. a little bit. And, you know, we love Brandy. But yeah, it's been good it's been working fun. with you today. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get to come back and, and banter with you again. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, take care until the next time on Cover Story. All right. Bye, Mick.